Welcome to the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast from Nashville, Tennessee. I am your host, John Martin Keith. Celebrities, working class musicians, and people who work behind the scenes in all areas of the music industry will share their stories, encourage you, and give practical advice of ways you can make a living doing what you love in the music industry. This episode is brought to you by Eden Brook Productions. Edenbrook Productions is the company I founded to help musicians grow in their craft. Are you a songwriter, but maybe you've been told your songs aren't quite there yet? Or are your songs ready, but you don't feel stage ready? Or maybe music is your passion, but you feel imprisoned by your day job and you don't know what to do next to make your dream a reality. Well, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. We offer consulting services via phone call, Skype, and FaceTime. And for the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast listeners, we're offering an introductory one-hour consultation special. Click on the link in the show notes to contact me, and let's get you making a living in the music industry. Hey guys, welcome back to another exciting episode of You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry. If you've been listening for any period of time now, you know that every guest that I've had on the show has given amazing interviews and so much incredible amounts of information to share with us. And today is no exception. So today I've got my friend Blaine Barkas on the show. And what I love about talking with Blaine today is that he has been in multiple facets of the music industry throughout his career, which is a lot of what I do as well. So, you know, some weeks we have people on that do one or two things, maybe three or four. Uh, and today, Blaine has a lot of stuff that we get to talk about, which is great. So Blaine has been a tour manager for Third Day and Mark Schultz. He's been an artist manager. Uh, he's been a touring drummer. He's been a live event producer. And now he is a record label A&R executive for Provident Label Group in Franklin, Tennessee. So he works specifically in the Christian music market. But it doesn't just work in Christian music. It also works in the mainstream market as well. It, it's across the board. So he has worked with, uh, again, like artists like Third Day, Stephen Curtis Chapman, Mark Schultz, Zach Williams, uh, Matthew West, some of these amazing artists like that. So I'm excited for you to sit back and listen to our conversation today as we talk about A&R and touring and just all of these types of things today. Hey, everybody. We are here hanging out with my good friend, Mr. Blaine Barkus. How are you today, sir? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. It is good to see you. Good. We haven't seen each other I know. It's been in a, while. a long, long time. Yep. We used to go to church together years yep. ago at a church called Ecclesia over at the factory here in Franklin. Right. And then um, everybody kind of went their own way, mm-hmm. and people kind of lose touch over the years. Like, we still see each other over Facebook right. and things like that, but Facebook and social media kind of give the, the illusion right. of always being connected to each right. other, but you you still haven't seen each yeah. other in 15 years. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or 14, yeah, whatever. Right. You know, so it's cool to reconnect. Yeah. And, you know, I've kept up with you over the years and seeing what all you're doing, the amazing work that you get to do in Christian music and mm-hmm. with the, you work at a Provident Label Group. Mm-hmm. You're the vice president of A&R. Mm-hmm. So for our listeners to know, that's what you do. Um, mm-hmm. That's currently what you're doing. Right. I want to get into kind of your history of how you got into music to begin with. But real quick, just for listeners, can you explain to people what A&R stands for and what that job entails? Just real briefly. We'll get into more detail in a little bit. But Sure. Yeah. Uh, the, the title A&R stands for Artists and Repertoire which is basically artists and songs. So it's an old record label title that's been around for, gosh, for decades. 
I, I equate the role as kind of like an account executive in some ways. So um, to simplify what I do, it's there's two parts to, of my job. There's about 20, 25 artists that are signed to, to our to our record label, and I manage about half of those, roughly nine or ten artists at a time. Uh, and it's my job to be the main creative person that interacts with the artist on behalf of, of all their content, mm-hmm. uh, especially on the audio side, the recordings. So uh, it's my job to help an artist develop if they're a brand new artist, uh, find uh, people to co-write with them, figure out their sound if they don't quite know yet. Basically helping them pick songs and find the right co-writers, uh, ultimately help them discover who's going to produce their project, whether it be an EP or an album. So it's kind of a part business, part creative role. Yeah. Um, so there's that part of it with the existing roster that I'm responsible for. And then there's kind of the talent scout side of what I do, which is out going to shows, listening to demos, looking for artists to potentially sign to our label. Yeah. So uh, it's a super fun job. I've been doing it for a long time and I really, I still love it. Yeah. So it's, How many it's, years have you been doing that job here? Uh, well, I've been in A&R since 2001, so almost 18, yeah, 18 yeah. years. And then I've been here for 15 years. Okay. So in January, it'll be 15 years here. Probably. Wow. So, That's yeah, awesome. Crazy. That's very yeah. cool. Yeah. Let's backtrack just a little bit and just kind of give us the audience a history of who Blaine Barkus is, where you came from, and how you got into music to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I, I grew up in the Midwest in St. Louis, Missouri. I grew up uh, in a great family. My parents were just fans of pop music. I grew up as a kid, you know, listening to their records, uh, listening to the radio. Uh, and just really from an early age, I just loved music. It just, I loved how it made me feel. I just enjoyed it. It was my, probably the thing I enjoyed the most when I was a kid. Uh, and even even as I continued to grow up, um, I guess my fifth grade year in school when I was 10, they started offering instrumental music at my local public school and uh, they offered drums. And I was like, man, I, I want to play drums. And so I talked to my parents and we walked down to the local music shop and my dad rented me a snare drum and they enrolled me in music lessons. And so I just started taking uh, snare drum lessons as a, ten, as a fifth grader. And I, I kind of just had some natural ability early on, and um, my parents just really encouraged it. I think my dad bought me my first used drum kit when I was in sixth or seventh grade. I started taking some private lessons. Uh, I started getting in these kind of honors bands and you know symphonic band, and just I just loved it. It kind of became my thing. I was a pretty average athlete, you know, growing up as a kid, but music was something I kind of excelled at and just mm-hmm. really had a passion for. So started playing in rock bands in high school, co- you know, cover bands, you know, kids 16, 15 years old playing covers and from Tom Petty to the Stones to Beatles to, you know, pop and rock kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Some originals, but mostly covers. Had a blast doing that. And of course, played in school bands, you know, marching band, jazz band, all that kind of stuff. I graduated from high school and I thought, you know, I love music, but that seemed like just to have a career in music seemed like that people just don't do that. That doesn't seem very practical. So I just went off to my state school, University of Missouri, and enrolled in school and just really didn't have any really career aspirations. Just figured I, I need to go to college and do something. So uh, pledged a fraternity right away, went straight from high school, moved into a fraternity house, which Shocker. It was, was crazy. <laughs> uh, looking back now on it, I ask my parents why the heck they let me do that. But, you know, it, it was really a, looking back on it now, kind of a providential thing. I My sophomore year of college, there was a guy in my house uh, that was a really on-fire Christian. And uh, he was really, he was an evangelist. 
And we became friends, and I started kind of watching his life, and he was leading these Wednesday night Bible studies, and I thought, okay, what, a Bible study? That seems kind of weird to do in college and in a fraternity, but this guy just loved Jesus, and I thought he was a great guy, and long story short, he ended up kind of leading me to, to Christ That's awesome. Uh, when I was a sophomore, when I was 20 years old. So I, I really didn't grow up on any kind of Christian music. I just loved music, rock, pop, you know, that kind of stuff. So that when I became a believer, that's kind of how I started to learn a little bit about what Christian music was and started to find artists that I really liked and inspired me. And um, from, you know, from Amy to, to Michael W. Smith and Stephen Curtis Chapman and then DC Talk and some of those artists, I just really thought they were making great quality music and just and, and plus lyrically it was just ministering to me personally. Yeah. So um uh so anyway, I finished my degree in college. I just a liberal arts degree in communications. Uh, still not knowing what I was going to do with my life uh, and my new faith. Moved home to St. Louis, kind of just started bouncing around in, in some jobs. I worked in uh, marketing, sales, you know, in the advertising industry for a while. Then I worked in the healthcare industry. I was recruiting physicians to work in hospital emergency departments. All the while, my music side of my life was more involved in just church and worship teams and still playing a little bit. Uh, in the midst of all this, I have a younger brother, six years younger, who came here to Nashville to go to Belmont. So I started, I started visiting him a little bit and seeing what was going on in Nashville in music. And uh, really just was kind of followed my brother here, honestly, my younger brother in 96. I moved here. And by this time, he had kind of he had gone to Belmont and then kind of dropped out to go on tour, never went back. And his touring life kind of kind of took off. And really, it was through my brother's network of friends and work associates that I was able to kind of plug in because he knew a lot of people by the time I moved here. And and I so my first job was I, I started on the road as a tour manager. Uh, there was a band from Atlanta called Third Day. They was just starting out. They were literally still in a van and a trailer, uh, playing all over the Southeast, and they needed a tour manager. And I had had by this time I'd been out of college for seven or eight years, so I had some good business experience and sure, you know, some yeah. professional experience. And the manager just hired me. He said, "I think you can do it. You seem like a smart guy." And so I went on the road with those with Third Day, and and really just kind of learned a lot quickly on the road as a tour manager. <laughs> and that's your Six, that's your entrance into the music world is getting to to manage Third Day. It was a pretty Third great Day. first experience. <laughs> well, it was and it was just a great education for me too, because literally we played probably they played 120 shows in those six in the first six months. Wow. Um, lots of van rides overnight. Um, thankfully, now, they graduated to a bus eventually. But were they signed at this point? Or? They, were, they had just signed, they had and just their signed. debut national album had just came yeah. out, the one with the bus on the yeah, cover. Yeah. That was I remember the first that. album. Of yeah. course. And that album took off like crazy. Yep. And so I road managed those guys for really it was only six months, but got to know them very well on the road and, and then kind of transitioned from the road to inside their management company and became their day-to-day manager. And that's really how, even though my brother had worked with Stephen Curtis Chapman, I then, uh, they had the same management company, Create a Trust at the right. time. And so that's how I started working with Steven a little bit, you know, overseeing a lot of his live events and several other artists as well. So I was kind of in the management world then for about th- three and a half years. And just, I enjoyed it, but I, but the musician side of me really wanted to be more involved day to day and more of the creative side of what artists do. Mm-hmm. And so um, I just ended up, uh, thankfully, I got an opportunity to, actually, I went back on, I left that job, went back on the road for another year and road managed for a guy named Mark Schultz, who was coming back, he was just coming out around 2000, and his new album, first album came out, was doing really well. So I got to road manage and play drums for him on the road for about a year. Okay. And then in 01 is when I I got hired at Word Records to, in A&R, was my first shot at A&R. At Word, I was at Word for a little over three years, and then um, in 2005, Terry Hemmings uh, brought me over here to Provident, and this is kind of where I've been 
Ever like I since. said, for ever since for 15 yeah. years. So that, kind of a long answer to your question, no. but that's kind of my yeah, no, that's career, good. Uh, career journey in well, a nutshell. That's good for the audience to hear, is to hear the progression mm. of what somebody goes through to get to where you are currently. Like you mm-hmm. have to start somewhere. Now, you, you, you had the privilege of starting at a really good place good level, with, yeah. with Third Day. Yeah. For people who don't know Third Day's music, who are listening, they need to go Google Third Day and listen. Yeah. They're a huge Christian rock band. Sold over 10 million albums. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, but when they first started, and I remember when that first album came out, I was a senior in high school, mm. uh, 92 yeah. is when it came out. 92, yeah. Or well, early 90, 92, late 92, 92, early 92 93. 92 or 93 would have been their, actually their independent record, but their national release was uh, beginning of 96, actually. Okay. Yeah, I remember... With, with the bus. With the bus. Yeah. 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 So... Um, but I remember that coming out, and yeah. that was a huge influence. I mean, all those artists were yeah. on my life as well. So the fact that you got to start at that baseline, yeah. you know, that's really a, fortunate. That's a that's a high yeah. high bar to start. Yeah, and just to go forward from that, and right, you know, most people don't get that opportunity to start right. quite there. So right. I usually reserve kind of the what do you give advice for later on towards the end of the interview. But we're kind of here, so let's talk about it. What would you tell somebody? that wants to get into road managing, mm. you know? I mean, most people aren't going to start with Third Day or right. something like that. They're going to start on a smaller yeah. level with indie artists, right. kind of, you know, their hometown or their region, that kind of thing. But what would you tell somebody who, who's wanting to get into that? I want to road manage some artists. How do I find somebody yeah. to, to work with? What might be a quick thing on that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, you, you could start a couple places. You could start, you're right, with an, with an independent artist uh, on the road. Um, I think, I think first of all, let me say this. Here are some, uh, some of the skills, I think, that are required for being a good road manager, okay. a good tour manager. Sure. You've you got to have some organizational skills. you got to okay. be fairly organized. You have, to, you have to be able to juggle a lot of balls at one time because um, you're interacting. The great thing about being a tour manager is you're, you interact with almost every facet of the of the music industry because you're interacting, obviously, with artists. Mm-hmm. You're interacting with uh, concert promoters. You're interacting with booking agents. You're interacting with artist managers. You're interacting with uh, people from the record label, maybe a publicist. Uh, you're interacting with, uh, you know, maybe a, a bus company or a, some kind of transportation entity. You're interacting with production companies, you know, audio, lighting, sound engineers, uh, uh, crew people. Uh, you're really touching almost everything, mm-hmm. you know, which is which was amazing for me because I got, uh, you know, I was coming into this as as a at that time I was 30 or 31 years old, so I wasn't super young, I you know. So I, I had had a lot of professional business experience, but I hadn't worked in music, you know, so to speak. So I got a great 101 education quickly by being a tour manager. Yeah. So how do you get there? I think I think a good way is to yeah, like start managing or road managing maybe an independent artist who's out there touring would be great. Another route would be uh, start out as a as a merchandise manager on a tour. Okay. Uh, a merchandise people are always looking for responsible, organized people that can go out and sell merchandise and manage merchandise for an artist on the road. Okay. Um, that's I see that as kind of a good entry level thing. And if you're and who do you approach if somebody wants to be wants to work in merch doing that? Do you go to the the management company? Like who who would yeah, you approach signed, to do that? Yeah. If it's a signed artist with a manager, I would go I would go to the manager okay. and let them know who you are and what your skill level is and what you've done and that kind of thing and a lot of times it doesn't take a lot of past experience to do that job but somehow you got to prove that you're you have good people skills 
and that you're organized and you're good with money. Yeah. Got to have those skills. Sure. Uh, people skills because you're going to interact with the artist, the, the road manager, and you're going to act. You're going to interact with uh, local salespeople at each venue. Yeah. Some most of those will probably be volunteer. Yeah. People. And the audience. And the audience. <laughs> exactly. So you're you're kind of representing the artist when you're standing at that merchandise table selling their T-shirts and their CDs and their photos and posters and whatever. You know, you're kind of a representative for the artist. Yeah. So if you're not a pleasant person or you got bad people skills, that's a reflection of the artist. They're not going to keep you around very long. Mm-hmm. You're kind of like a salesperson out yeah. there for the artist. So it's a, it, if you can be really good at that, usually other people on the road are going to notice your skills and your abilities. And, and I think there's a lot of transferable skills to then grow into maybe an assistant tour manager on a large tour. Okay. Or a tour manager on a, on a smaller tour. You know, sure. kind of work your way up. So. Okay. Um, I always feel like merchandise is a great way, a great way for anybody to get into the industry. Okay. That's great to hear yeah. because people don't, wouldn't normally think of that as no. being a good entry way into, no. into well, especially managing. when you're, you know, if, if you're starting out and you're on the, you know, younger side, maybe you're early, early mid twenties and you're still single and Hey, I can just go on the road. You yeah. know, hopefully my cost of living is low and I can go on the road and, and be gone for a few weeks at a time, and and, it, and that lifestyle is is fairly doable. Early yeah. On, so. Now you're married and you have a family. Right. So, were you married when you started when you were road managing at I was that not. point? I was okay. single when I got here, and uh, I was single when I toured managed Third Day, and then got married as I when I was an uh, artist manager at Creative Trust. Okay. So, but then when, actually when I did go back out with Mark Schultz for a year, I was newly married, no kids. Okay. And that was doable because there weren't you know no, no kids yet, and my wife was working, and so we made yeah. it work. We, I was never gone for super long periods of time. So l- let's talk about that for a second because one of the things that I'm married and I have a family, and people ask me all the time, it's like, how do you do music for a living. I mean, I do a bunch of different things that allow me to do it, but being married and having a kid and you're, you're away from home, like, are you always away from your family? And like, well, I'm fortunate. I've been blessed that most of the time they get to go with me mm. unless I'm doing a fly date or something like that. And mm-hmm. I have to be gone for a few days. Um, but if we're driving, which I prefer to do, then they get to go with me. We homeschool our daughter. And so that makes it really easy for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and my wife works from home as well. So that makes it easy for us. But that's not always the case for people. You know, you, you have this job. Your wife has another job, even though you're, you don't have kids at this point. But, you know, how did that work for you guys at that point, you know, when you're out on the road and it's just you and her, but you don't get to be with each other very often? That, right. that first year is very and a very important in year. You know, how did that kind of work for you? Yeah, it, it worked. It worked for a while. Uh, fine. I mean, I, I don't think I think the longest I was ever uh, gone was maybe a two week run. OK. Uh, and that, you know, be home for, bad. Yeah, be home for a few days. I was never gone for, hey, I'm gone for a month or anything sure. like that. But you know what? A lot of people are. A yeah. lot of people are, regardless of genre, you know, gone for weeks up, upon a time or even gone for a month or two, mm-hmm. especially if you're you know leaving the country, of course. Yeah. So the road is. Um, it's a challenging lifestyle. It depends on what your priorities are in life too. You know, if you're married and you got kids and and you you know you want to try to maintain a great marriage and be a great parent, it's hard to be gone all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's really a struggle and can be really hard on relationships. Yeah. So I mean, most people, at least that I know, can do it for a season and then eventually they need to figure out how to phase into mm-hmm. phase into something else. Yeah. So. I mean, do you guys have to, and not to pry into personal <laughs> personal details of your life, but did you guys have to figure out ahead of time, like, okay, I've been offered this opportunity to go back out on the road and road manage this artist for 
a year or however long it's going to be, you know, do you have to sit down with your wife and kind of get a game plan together and say, okay, this is what it looks like. You know, are you okay with this? Am I okay with this? And kind of, you're walking into this thing together. Yeah, it's yeah. not like telling your wife, hey, I'm going to go do this. Right. And, you know, and good luck while I'm gone. <laughs> Absolutely. No, yeah. I mean, if, yeah, you really got to talk it through and I think be on the same page with it, at least if you want to, you, you know, a have a healthy marriage. relationship. Yeah. yeah. I think you got to talk it through. And I think the spouse has to know, has to be in it and be committed to it and be on board with it too. Yeah. I think for in our situation, I, you know, she knew it wasn't a long-term thing. I yeah. mean, I, honestly, when I first committed to go back out with Mark Schultz, it was only a three-month commitment. So now it morphed into a full year. But after that, after that year of being on the road with Mark, as great as it was, he was awesome. I had a blast doing it. My wife and I just knew that wasn't the lifestyle that we were going to lead long term. So I was already, after a year, I was kind of finding way, I was looking for, okay, what's my next thing? You yeah. know, what's the, what's my next opportunity? Yeah. And thankfully, um, you know, the job at Word opened up at that time. But Sure. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on into going to Word Records. And that was your first A&R experience, right. right? How did you work your way into that position? Did somebody reach out to you and say, hey, this position is open? Or did you have to work your way into that some other way? Yeah. Yeah, well, because, you know, it's a great question because I had never, I had never had an A&R position before. Now, right. I had done management, and by this time, you know, I think I'd, you know, done a pretty good job at Creative Trust, and I was known in the industry for my tour managing and my, and my artist management and that kind of thing. I knew a lot of artists, and I knew most people in the industry. So um, I think when the position came open, um, uh, actually, my, my former boss at Creative Trust, Dan Rains, uh, spoke to the A&R person that was hiring there at Word and kind of put my name in the hat okay. and just said, hey, Blaine's been looking for this, something like this. He'd be great. I'm telling you, you know, Dan had been in the industry for years and years and years. And so yeah. he, his recommendation was respected and said, I believe Blaine does have the skill set, you know, to be a great A&R person. Sure. Because um, there are some things, I will say this too, um, I think there are... Uh, you know, there are a lot of managers. I mean, managers have different styles of how they work and how they manage artists. But there are some, you know, there's some A and R skills I think required to be a good manager too. You know, you have to. Hopefully, you have a, at least a decent ear for songs and and what you know a certain level of talent and that kind of thing. So I think I had done enough A and R kinds of things as an artist manager that um, they just believed I could do the job. They, they took a chance on me, though. It was definitely a, a step of faith because I had not done the job before. Right. But I was able to prove that I had done enough of those kinds of things, even in my management role, uh, that they were like, okay, we're going yeah. to hire you. Well, and plus, you've got Dan Raines recommending you. Right. So someone who's highly trusted in right. the industry as well. And exactly. so you've got, and we talk about this all the time with other with other guests, but it always comes back to relationships. Yeah. You've built these relationships with people over years now, right? And they trust you, and they know what you're capable of and what right. you've done in the past. And yeah. so, you've got someone who's going ahead of you, saying, "Hey, this guy has got got the goods to take care of the job, right? Because you're a creative guy, we know that, and you're very good at business. So, yeah. Um, so it, the yeah. relationship is is really paramount. Yeah. You know, in this industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, you have to. Networking is important. The relationships are important. Uh, obviously, you have to be able to do the job. But um, I think, yeah, because of my past track record, track record, thankfully, several people felt comfortable putting in a word for me. So. Yeah. Um, who did you work with? Like, what artists were you working with over at Word? Yeah, it was um, uh, my first day on the job. I remember uh, I was literally introduced to my first artist that was assigned to me, and her name was Allie Rogers. She was an 18-year-old 
young lady from Iowa who had, who had actually been signed by the former A&R person there whose place I was taking, and he, and then that person left okay. to take a different job. And so I was introduced to her and said, hey, here's, here's a new artist you're working with. Um, fantastic talent, singer-songwriter, great young lady. I worked a little bit with uh, Salvador on a live worship record. I worked with uh, Nicole C. Mullen on a live record. During my time there, I, I signed Building 429 when they okay. were just kind of getting started. Yep. Um, they had their big a big song, Glory to Find, back in the day. I think it was 2004, maybe, 2003, 2004. Oh, I signed a pop punk band called Stellar Cart. Oh, yeah. Uh, they had a they had good, little, good little touring business going, and yeah. they were great guys. And so I, was, they were a ton of fun to work with. Worked a little bit with Fernando Ortega yep. back in the day. He was signed to Word. Okay. Uh, really you know, talented writer, really great, fantastic worship leader. He was fun to work with. And then you moved over. So you were there for, what, a year, you said? Year no, or two? I, was, I was at Word for a little over three years, Oh, three actually. years. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, then I, um, you know, I, and I'd known Terry Hemmings for a bunch of years. I met Terry really when I first moved here in the mid-'90s because uh, Third Day was signed to Reunion Records, and he was running Reunion back in the day. So that's how we initially met. And then... We really didn't stay in close contact, but when he was then hired to come run Provident, I believe in, I lose track of the years, but I think it would have been 2003 or four. he had been out of the industry for a few years and had come back to run Provident. And I just kind of you know, wrote him a note when he got the job and said, hey man, glad you're back in the industry and, and I always respected you a lot and hope things go well for you. And um, it was within maybe a year or so after that, he, he and I reconnected and he was restructuring some things here in A&R at Provident and he said I really want you to come on my come on our team and mm-hmm. and be a part of the, be a part of A&R. So like I said that was January of um, 2005 when I when I started here. And what was really exciting to me too was not only to get to work with Terry but uh, this is where Third Day was. And right. so oh, it was yeah. really a full, full circle. circle for me, you know. Sure. I started out as their tour manager and then I was their manager for a while and now I was now I was going to he was going to basically I was going to work with Third Day in an A&R capacity. Yeah. So that's what was uh, super exciting. So now you're getting to help them find songs and right. and build an album and exactly things. that's cool. Yeah, and that was um, like I said, that was 2005. So that was right before the first album I worked on with them was uh, an album called Wherever You Are, which had, I mean, one of their biggest songs, "Crowd to Jesus," was on that was on that record. Um, so that was the first the first project I officially um, mm-hmm. kind of A&R'd with them. So that's cool. Yeah, that's awesome. It's fun. So kind of kind of going back to the beginning of our conversation, being an A&R here, what does a day-to-day look like? What's a day in the life of Blaine Barkas being an A&R uh, vice president what does it at look like? Provident? Yeah, what, do you, what does a day-to-day look like for you to do that? Well, job? one of the things I love about the job is um, every day is different. Okay. Uh, every day always involves music, which, hey, yeah. what can be better than that? That's right. So, um, you know, let's see. I mean, like today, I'm. Uh, it's pretty much. I'm in the office most of the day. I had a, I had a, a lunch meeting with a with a guy I've known for years, um, who does some booking. I was, so I was catching up with him, and then. But a lot of what I've been doing here in my office today is I've got several artists that are uh, in the middle of making projects. So I'm getting, I've got a brand new artist uh, called Kane C A I N that's uh, recording their debut EP and they, we've tracked the first two songs and I'm getting rough mixes back on those songs and so I'm I'm, intera- I'm listening and I'm interacting with, with the artist and the producer saying, hey, this sounds great or maybe, you know, turn this up or I need to hear more tambourine on the chorus or right. whatever, you sure. know. So I'm analyzing a rough mix before the producer sends it off to actually be mixed by the okay. mix engineer. Gotcha. Um, I've got Matthew West in the studio right now. We're in the middle of mixing his new record. 
And so I've got his producer, same thing, sending me roughs on mm-hmm. songs and then mixes on songs mm-hmm. to approve those. And then, and then I'm always having to keep my eyes on deadlines, you know, because the part of my job is is a balance between the creative and the business. So, you know, are we staying on budget with the record? And then, what's the deadline? When do I have to have this record mastered and ready to give to, to hand to our production people to actually get it sent to all the DSPs, the digital service providers, you know, the Spotify's and the Apple Music and the Pandora's? Mm-hmm. And then also, you know, we still sell some CDs, believe it or not. Yeah. So we actually have to send off the master to have CDs manufactured and the booklets printed. and Because our artists do sell uh, still quite a few CDs at their shows. Uh, a lot of our, our fans that go to those shows still like to buy a CD. And a lot of times, I think it's a, um, you know, it's a keepsake from the show. Maybe they get to meet the artist and the artist autographed yeah. the CD for them. So, That's yeah, the best so, part. So there are deadlines. There are, yeah, there are deadlines. There are timelines that have to be met. And so that's where the organizational piece has to come into play, where you're keeping things on schedule the best you can. Yeah. You know? So, who sets the, the deadline for when an album is going to come out? Do you are you the guy that says um, this is going to we're going to release this album June twenty second of twenty twenty, you know, and then you have to get everything done within that time, or is there someone else that's setting that? How does that that's work? That's a good question. You know, I'm mean, here at the label. We have, uh, you know, we've got a staff of roughly, you know, 35, 40 people. And so my job, A&R, is, is a piece of that team. But, you know, we have a huge marketing team. We have a radio team. You know, we have people that, we have five or six people that do nothing but get our radio, get some of our singles played on the radio. They're on the phones calling radio stations every day trying to get those stations to play our artists' music. Mm-hmm. And then I have, we have a digital team that they're, they're literally calling Apple Music and Spotify and Pandora every day trying to get our artists' songs playlisted on certain playlists and, and positioned, if it's a new release, positioned on certain pages and um, and so, and then we have back office people that are handling all the finances and the details and the, you know, the administration of everything. And mm-hmm. so anyway, to answer your question though, um, usually, you know, it's, it's a lot of discussion on when, a, when a project is released and it's a lot of interaction with the artist and the artist manager. And we decide, you know, usually a cycle on a, on a, a life cycle on an album or a project is, is roughly 18 to 24 months. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, sometimes less, sometimes more, depending on the artist. But so it's kind of a constant dialogue between the artist, the manager, and our team on when things come out, when music is released, and how it's released, and the timeline of that. But then, but then there are certain. So once we kind of know, okay, we're going to put this project out on this date, then we kind of back up to see how many weeks do we need? How much? How many weeks does our the team beyond me here at the label need to get that music into the marketplace. We set it up, you know, to start to talk to Spotify and Apple Music about it. Hey, here's what's coming from Zach Williams next. Um, it's coming out this date. We're going to want positioning for this and that. And so then I have, then they, they basically give me a date on when they need music to actually send it out to all the providers and all the entities that get the music out there. Um, it, it's a lot of it's a lot of coordination. Yeah. And it's a lot, and, and dates shift. You know, it's music. So sometimes we have dates on a calendar, and the, let's say an artist gets laryngitis or has vocal problems mm-hmm. and they can't sing all the songs. And that may delay us getting the project done, which may push the release date back. And, you know, or maybe we've only got half the songs written, and all of a sudden they've got writer's block, and we have to wait. And, mm-hmm. well, we don't have enough songs. Yeah. I mean, a bunch of things can happen to, sure. to delay, the, delay the process. But, very interesting. Yeah, that's cool to hear. Just how the whole label works together, all the different departments, because I think, especially for indie artists or songwriters, they think that okay, an artist is going to put out a song and then it's just going to magically appear on 
Apple and Spotify and you know wherever else, and that's not the way it works. Now, I mean, being an indie artist, that you know you got to do it yourself. You don't have right. a team of people doing it for right. you. So yeah, you got to do that. But as far as like a signed a signed artist, I don't think people realize that the coordination of a huge team of people, 35, 40 people that it takes to put those things out and that you've got to call ahead and you've got to make appointments with Spotify and Apple and all these different places to co- coordinate for when those things are going to, when they need to have the music ready so that they can get it out on time. Like that's even, I, like I wasn't even thinking about that, Yeah, you know, but it's true. Yeah. That makes complete sense. Yeah. Um, and talk, talking about, you know, streaming services and just social media and those types of things. I put out a, a question on my Facebook page, on the the podcast page, just wanting people to kind of write in and ask questions of things that they're wanting to know about the music industry and that can help them as they're doing things. So I wanted to ask you this. This is from Jordan Lee Johnstone. Wants to know, what are your thoughts on Instagram these days to promote yourself and to let others see what you can do to possibly lead to future working opportunities? Mm. So he, uh, do, he's do a musician. Question, is that question, um, he's a musician, you said? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So how would he, is, is Instagram worth having as a musician trying to get yourself out there for people to know who you are to get more working chance, more uh, chances to work? I think without a doubt, yeah, it, it's, it's, it can be a positive tool for an artist or a musician. I think you got to, yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically a great way to promote yourself. I think you have to, obviously, at the end of the day, you got to be, you know, you got to have a certain level of talent, I think, that people will go like, oh, gosh, I'd like for that guy to come play guitar for me or play drums for me or yeah. background singer or whatever you do. But I think putting content out there to show people, you know, what you do is is a huge help. Uh, but I do think it comes down to, while that can be a help, it, it does come back to what you mentioned earlier is just you still got to have some relationships and people still got to know who you are. I think mm-hmm. um, from a touring musician standpoint, without a doubt, your playing ability is only part of the equation. Who you are as a person and how you conduct yourself and your personality are all equally, if not more so important, uh, than than your musicianship and your playing ability. Because if somebody's going to hire you to be in their band or be on the road with them and ride around in a tour bus with them... They're gonna. You better be a good person. You better be a good a good hang. You better be somebody you can get along with people. You better be enjoyable to hang around with. Because if you're not, if you're a pain in the rear out there on the road or in the bus, they're gonna find somebody else to play drums or play guitar or whatever. Yeah. Because you're you're kind of like a, a bus or a van or whatever vehicle you're traveling in. It's kind of like your home. Yeah. And so if you're kind of the guy that gets on everybody's nerves all the time. Dude, you're not family. We're gonna get. We're gonna find some other somebody else that's yeah. as good a player as you, or whatever yeah. you do, that's more enjoyable to be with, or or represents you the way you want to be represented. If you're the artist, right? You know. So, I would say your social skills, your people skills, your uh, general dis- disposition is 100 percent as as important as your playing ability. Yeah, because musicians are a dime a dozen in a music, especially town. in Nashville. Yeah, like you can. Throw a you know you can throw a ball and hit and hit a musician right <laughs> you know and a lot of really good ones and they're, they're all yeah. amazing yeah but they're not always the nicest people to be around necessarily right you know so it's finding the people that right that you can get along with and hang out with and so I completely agree with that professionalism what's interesting about the music business is 
it's a it's obviously a creative field, so it's a little bit different than other industries. You know, it's different than being a lawyer or a plumber or a salesman or there's a creative entity to it. So that usually attracts a lot of people. You know, creative people for the most part tend to be a little scattered, maybe not quite as organized, mm -hmm. maybe a little fly by the seat of your pants. That's some of the things that makes them a creative person. Yeah. But I think uh, and that's okay to be that way. But you have to, it's still a job. It's still a career. It's still an occupation. You have to be, to be successful, you need to bring a certain level of professionalism to whatever you do, whether you're a musician or a singer or a, or a merchandise salesperson or a road manager or whatever you do in this industry, you, have to, you better bring some professionalism to it or there'll be somebody else waiting to take your job in a heartbeat. Yep. And I think if you are professional and do the simple things like being organized, uh, responding to emails and phone calls in a timely manner, um, uh, being personable, having good communication skills, being punctual, all those kinds of things, which sounds simple. If you can be, do those things, you will, you will set yourself apart. You definitely will. And yeah. you'll, you'll get noticed for those things. Yeah, that's great. What is your favorite thing about being in A&R? In &R? My favorite thing is uh, signing new artists. Okay. Uh, I love the, there's something about signing a new artist. There's a little bit of a, a mentoring component to my role that I love. I, I'm f somewhat of an encourager by nature, and I like to be an encourager. I like to help young artists find their way, with, whether it's find, helping them find the right team of people to songwrite with or finding the right producer or finding the right manager. Sometimes artists I sign don't even have managers yet, so I introduce them to several managers to see who might be a good fit for them. Mm -hmm. I love the the hunt for a great song and just helping them, you know, take a good song and maybe offering some feedback to help to, to tweak it to make it great, make it better. I love uh, just helping artists kind of find their way. Yeah. You know? How do you go about finding an artist to sign? Like, are you actively, I mean, obviously you're, you're actively looking for them, but how do you go about looking to find an artist and what makes you to say, I want that, I want that artist, mm -hmm. I want to sign that person? Or do some of them find you, they reach out to you, or is that kind of a, a mixture of the two things? A mixture of two things, but more times than not, it's usually, I would say, them finding me. Um, usually the artists that I get excited about come to me through other people I know in the industry, whether it be a manager that I know, or a, a concert promoter in a different part of the country, or, or another one of my artists heard a... Heard a heard an artist in another city and said, you need to check this person out. Or a music publisher will contact me uh, about an artist that they've signed or have heard about. It's always usually f a referral from somebody, from other, some other trusted source with, that's already within the industry. Yeah. Um, I don't spend a ton of time, honestly, just randomly or blindly online looking for artists. I probably should spend a little more time doing that or maybe have an assistant that does that for me. But I'm so busy managing my current roster, um, it's hard to find a lot of time to do that. And a lot of times, honestly, I did it more in the past, and it never really yielded too many things, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. Sure. So it's usually from a trusted source that I already know is how the— It comes the back to relationships. Yeah, it comes back to relationships and network of people. And, you know, obviously I've been involved in this in various capacities for— you know, 23 plus years now. So I just, I just know a lot of people and they kind of know me and yeah, it's kind of yeah. how it happens. That's good. That's good to know, man. Thank you. Yeah. And it's great information. I think this is stuff that people need to know and it's, it's just really good stuff that 
people can apply to their lives and their careers. Yeah. So let's before we in, before we close out. Yeah. Uh, what's some advice? I know we talked a little bit about this at the beginning, but just overall, like if, as an artist, let's start with there's two things. I'm an artist that wants to sign with you guys. Mm-hmm. It loves it's a Christian music artist. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be that. I mean, yeah. it doesn't that that's just for the context because that's what you do. Right. But as an artist in general, you know, I want to get signed to a label. And you just mentioned that a lot of its connections and people are, are referring people to so and so and back that gets to you. Mm-hmm. But does an artist ever reach out to you directly? And would you take into consideration that artist because of that them taking the chance to do that specifically yeah. to you. Is that something that yeah. you guys would do? Uh, you know, they do reach out occasionally, but it's not as often as you would think. Well, first of all, yeah, let me let me say so I'll I'll talk about some things that what do I look for in yeah, artists sure. that, that that I get excited about or yeah. what I, that I would potentially sign. I mean, the thing about my job is my role here is to sign artists. Obviously, I think they're incredibly talented. Secondly, and maybe even more importantly, is you know, do I feel like they, first of all, do they want to be in Christian music? Do they have a heart for Christian music? Do they have a heart for ministry, encouraging people, reaching people, um, loving people? Uh, that's a big part of what Christian music is and what we're about. Right. So I have to evaluate all those kinds of things. And then, um, but I have to, I have to say, okay, if I sign this artist, do I believe this artist has the talent level and all those other things I just mentioned? to be successful on a national level, if not a worldwide level? Do I think they could be a big artist? Do I think a lot of people, a lot of people, would love their voice, would love their songs, would really love their what they do, and does it fit in the format of Christian music? There are record labels, hopefully your artists realize this today, that you know you can go, as an independent artist, and Marty, you're, you know, you're proving it yourself, you can go. You can have a career. You don't need. A, you don't need a label to have a career as an artist. You yeah. can go farther than ever before in today's world through hard work and talent and the internet and social media. It takes a lot of work. You got to market yourself. You got to put yourself out there and make yep. the phone calls and send the emails and do all the work. So you don't have. You know, getting the record deal isn't like the end all be all. You know. So and really, a record label is just. I equate it to like an engine that can help a, an artist. Uh, kind of pour gasoline on what a what an artist is already doing. You know, we have to. The artist has to be the driving force, and the label then can be champions to come around that artist and hopefully, you know, take it to the masses, so to speak. Right. So I'm I'm looking for you know at the end of the day, what we do is a business. It's it's a weird thing. It's commerce meets creativity meets art. Yeah. And then what we do, you th- you know, throw ministry in there as well, which right. can be, you know, exciting and also complicated sometimes. But you know, I have to hopefully sign artists that are financially profitable for this company. You know, we're owned by Sony, and so we have to be profitable. We have to make money. Right. So I'm signing artists that I feel like, obviously, hopefully, are super talented, and yet that will, you know, tons of people are going to want to hear their music and consume it and listen to it and enjoy it. Um, I'm not going to go sign somebody that would be great on a country label because. That's we aren't a country label. That's not what I do. I'm not in country music. I'm not in pop music. I'm not in jazz music. I'm not in um, new age music. Whatever. Right. You know what I do is what we do is Christian and worship. That's what we do. Yeah. And so um, just because a person is a person of faith or a follow of Jesus doesn't mean they're necessarily a fit for a label or a fit for Christian music. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I think sometimes artists who are Christians get frustrated because. They don't feel like labels understand what they do, and it may not. They may be really talented, but they may not be a fit for 
the format, you know? If you're an artist that's going to want to partner with a label, you really need to analyze, okay, what who are who are the artists that are already on that label? Do I think I could fit in that artist family? Do I am I a fit with that? Do I do a similar thing? Yeah, I'm my own unique sound, but am I a similar thing? Mm -hmm. And do I think whatever radio format that label is attached to, can I hear myself in that radio format? Can I hear myself on country radio? Or can I hear myself on Christian radio or pop radio or whatever? If you don't think so, radio is still a driving force in marketing, launching and marketing artists. As much as changing music in the last 10 years, radio is still a big force in in the industry and how people discover music. Mm at least on a, you know, a large commercial level. So if you don't think your music is going to fit on Christian radio or be sung in churches on a Sunday morning, don't pursue Christian music, you know, go pursue what, what does your music fit? You know, are you a country artist? Are you a pop artist? Whatever, go pursue those partners and help those people and, and try to get those people to help champion what you do. Yeah. Um, does that make sense? Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Backtracking just a little bit, go back to the the question about Instagram and just social media in general. Does that make a difference for you if someone is really an artist is really active on social media and they've got a lot of followers, that kind of thing? Does that mm-hmm. tend to make you want to sign them more because mm-hmm. they got more followers than someone who who, who who their music may be great and they're out doing it, but they don't necessarily have a lot of followers just because they don't really try to get yeah. get that. That's not like their their goal, their goal is to make music and get out there and not sit on online all day long trying to get people to like their stuff. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, at the end of the day, uh, I think different A&R people would probably give you different answers, uh, but I'll give you my, my answer is, yes, I care about social media. I think if you're an artist, trying to be an artist full-time, you have to be engaged and involved and out there on social media. Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm looking at an unsigned artist, it's not a make or break for me how many followers do you have or not have? At the end of the day, I look at the heart, the talent, the songs. It, everything starts with that. Um, I believe if somebody's great, if the talent is great, if the songs are great, they're going to find followers. They're going to gain followers. People are going to find out who they are. It's The music's going to resonate. It's going to connect. As opposed to if I think somebody has all these followers, you can, you can be a great online social media personality doesn't necessarily mean you're a great artist. Right. You might be entertaining. You might yeah. be charming. You might be good looking. Whatever. It doesn't necessarily translate into being a great artist. So, I mean, if they have great social media numbers, uh, that's a bonus. Yeah. But I'm not going to not sign somebody if yeah. I think they're phenomenally talented because they have low social yeah. media numbers. And Plus, Zach, Zach Williams was an example of that. Zach, when I signed him, he was leading worship at a church. He had been in a southern rock band years and years ago. But he had very little social media presence whatsoever. But I just was like, man, that dude with, the, with that voice, with those songs, I'm signing that guy. I don't care. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's cool. And plus, you can you can buy likes <laughs> all day yeah, long you now. Can buy that it's stuff. Like you can, yeah. It's all so fake anyway. Yeah. It's like you you can't really determine. You can't always tell what's real and what's fabricated. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So then, as someone who wants to maybe get a job at a label, whether it be doing A and R or just working at a label in general, just to kind of get their foot in the door to work for a record label. Um, what advice would you give for someone that wants to pursue that? Do they need to go to go to college first and get an internship because of that, or like can they just walk in the door and apply for a job, go online? Like, what do you yeah. typically tell people for that? Um, yeah, that it's different every time. I, I think as an entry level, you know, person who's a little bit younger and you know in their early twenties or so, 
I mean, I, I, I still always believe that having a college degree is, is a great thing. Do you have to have one? No, but, but, but so many people still want to work in the music business. A lot of times the bachelor's degree is kind of a weed out thing that the companies will use if you don't, it's like, you know what, if they don't at least have your bachelor's degree, we, we got so many applicants anyway, I'm going to, I'm going to consider somebody who has their bachelor's over somebody that's just, you know, that doesn't, that's how, that's the, that's the line I'm going to draw. So hmm. I still believe having a bachelor's degree in something is a benefit and, and says something to a company that, okay, they've got their degree. That's good. Even if it's in English or history or, or whatever, you know, right. um, I still think there's great benefit in that. You know, again, I, I think if you're uh, a young person coming out of college, you got to look for those entry level opportunities. And a lot of times those are administrative kind of jobs, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's, you're basically just, you know, keeping track of people's calendars and assisting a marketing director or, um, supporting, you know, the head of radio, or you're basically, you know, booking their appointments and keeping their calendar and maybe doing some, you know, ordering lunch for a, a group meeting or, you know, organizing a showcase behind the scenes, you know, and yeah. hiring some, you know, sound engineers and whatever. So it's a lot of administrative details kind of stuff. Sure. Um, we've had a lot of young college graduates start out in those kind of jobs and do an excellent job and they can then get promoted into, you know, an associate marketing director or uh, something like that or or go on the road, as I said earlier, uh, as a merchandise manager, be excellent out there on the road and, and do that for several years and then, you know, transition to a tour manager or transition from that into a label, you know, social media marketing rep here in the, out, in the office or something like oh. that. You know, I feel like where there's uh, some areas where there's real opportunity, I think, for for younger people trying to get into the industry, um, anything that's related to video content, visual content, mm-hmm. if you have any skills in video editing or behind a camera shooting things, um, uh, I think there's I think video opportunities are all over the place for, for okay. people that, are, that have talent in that yeah. area. I think there's, uh, as I said earlier, in the merchandise world, and maybe you're maybe you're a graphic designer and you end up working for a merchandise company and you design the logos on the T-shirts or sure. that kind of stuff. You know, there's all kinds of all kinds of spots. But yeah, I do think the degree is important. I do because I think what you can do then while you're getting your degree is then is you mentioned the internships. I think internships are incredibly valuable uh, mm-hmm. in the industry, and we hire interns all the time. Now in A and R, we don't hire interns that often because. What I do is so independent, and I'm moving around and doing so many different things, and, and a lot of what I do is so close to the artist that there's a lot of, you know, confidential, you know, I can't be playing, you know, cruddy demos for, you know, a college student that the artist doesn't want somebody to hear, you know. So, uh, but there's, but there, I mean, marketing hires interns all the time, radio department hires interns all the time, our publishing company hires interns all the time. So getting the internships, that that basically gives people at these companies a chance to get to know you and it's like a test drive yeah okay how would this person be inside of our company do they fit our culture are they do they follow through are they diligent i mean the one thing i can say about any shot you get in the music industry and maybe this is obvious but i'm going to say it anyway is just be great at what you do i don't care what job you have if you think it's a menial bottom of the totem pole task do it with excellence right be great at it Follow through, be professional, be on time, all those things I mentioned a little bit earlier. But but you you will advance if you just continue to be diligent and work hard. People will notice it, and you can grow and work your way up. But you also got to be patient. You know, you can't just expect to walk in and do something for a year and get some big promotion. And, you know, it, just, it, take, it takes time. Yeah. It just takes time. And all of those positions need to be filled. Somebody has to do all of those things that right. make a label run. Right. Or a publishing company or whatever it is. So, you know... 
I think that's encouraging for people to know. It's like there are opportunities once you get inside a record label, yeah. music yeah, company, right. whatever. Yeah. Everyone has to start from pretty much from the ground up. Right. And work your way up. Right. But everybody has to do it. Right. You know, so. Right. Uh, just prove, prove yourself where you are. And um, like I said, we have lots of people here that have started at the entry level and have proven themselves. And, oh, a position comes open. You're going to be the first person, because you're already here, you're going to be right. one of the first people considered for that opening. Sure. And you may or may not get it, but you're going to get the first shot because they already know you and hopefully like you and think you're doing a great job in your current role. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, man, thank you again so much. This You're has welcome. been awesome. Yeah. I really it's appreciate your time and, and just to catch up. And yeah, this is great advice that people can apply to their lives and their careers. And, and hopefully somebody will do that. Yeah. So. And let me, let me say one more thing about Please the do. college degree thing, too. I don't think you have to have, I don't have a degree in music business. You know, there are a lot of colleges out there that offer these music business programs. I think there's some value in them. I'm okay. not saying there, there's some really good programs out there. Sure. But some of them are also super expensive. And I think you've got to weigh the cost benefit of is it really worth paying, you know, fifty grand a year to go get a music business degree? Man, I don't know. I yeah. mean, I, I would say that, you know, you could go to a, another school and just get a straight up business degree and, you know, find internships to do on the side. And I'm not a big believer in that you have to have a music business degree. Right. Um, I'm, and I'm also not a believer in going into a bunch of debt to have to get yeah, your degree. So of course. I just want to say that to people that, you know, if you can afford it to go to some big expensive school and get a music business degree, awesome. But if you if you don't have a lot of money, don't feel pressure to go into big time debt to go get a music business degree. Um, just get a business degree. Yeah. And then and then supplement, you know, get your music your music experience outside of your of the classroom by interning and, uh, you know, promoting shows in your local area or right. whatever. And is, you're, you're proof of that. Yeah. You just exact same thing that you did. Exactly. And so people, here's living proof in, in front of yeah. me that, that it's possible to do that. Yeah. And probably a majority of the people, I would, I would almost guess, are probably in that same boat. Right. You know, most people can't afford to go into huge amounts of debt, and I would never tell anybody to go into debt right. um, to do anything. Exactly. But more people... Are in the in the boat that we were in right. of doing something small, right. and then have music in your life and be right. around it and get in a position to where you can be around people and work with people that are doing that, and then work your way into it from there. Exactly. And I mean, people do it from from both ways, and more than just those two ways, I'm sure. Right. But um, so that that's great advice. I appreciate yeah. that. So yeah, awesome. Yep. Well, again, thank you so much. It's great to talk to you. Enjoyed it. And have a great rest of the day. You too, man. Thank you all so much for hanging out with us and listening to our conversation with Blaine Barkus today. I hope you got lots of information and were able to take lots of notes so that you can apply all of these things that we talked about today and put them into practice into your life and into your career. Remember, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. If you need consulting services via phone call, Skype, or FaceTime, be sure to let us know how we can help you begin to make a living in the music industry.